I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. fans welcome to amazing avenue audio the show my name is brian with me as always is chris we are recording this at 11:04 p.m after the mets just dropped their second straight to the red sox at home bringing their first week's record to three and four before we get into mets specific stuff you and i talk almost every day about baseball in one way or another and both of us were not particularly feeling opening day as anything special and we have been talking in the weeks leading up to opening day about how it still didn't feel like baseball was coming and then Yohannes Cespedes hit a bomb and all of a sudden we were both back in um how did it feel that first day to be watching baseball and how do you feel about it a week later yeah it was weird I mean I think we all expected it to be weird but um I guess part of me felt guilty for not being more into it until the Cespedes home run because it's Jacob deGrom. He's pitching in a game. But I, the exhibition games that they played against the Yankees, one, I didn't really tune in for – one of them I didn't see any, and the other one I wasn't tuned in for all of it. Um, so I guess if you did both of those, you might have gotten a little more acquainted with what this experience would be like. But – I, I don't want to say uh, the guilty part is like, okay, am I taking Jacob deGrom pitching on my TV for granted, which I never want to do. Um, but it was just a, 
um, intro to what this experience would be like. And I also think that a couple things were tweaked after opening day that made it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just going into it, the cardboard cutout fans, I, that that was pretty easy to, to get used to. You know, the, the first time it, it goes to the normal camera that you watch baseball on from center field, uh, you know, you might have had a little bit of that, oh, you know, wait, those aren't real people. That to me was easy to get used to, but the fake crowd noise was just disorienting. Uh, disorienting, and until Cespedes hit the home run, I just, I don't know, I couldn't, I couldn't get like emotionally invested in it. But then that happened, so you know that was good. I, since then, it's been, you know, the, the last couple of nights. Um, regardless of the outcome of the games that we'll get to. But um, I've settled in with with whatever this is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot easier to accept, uh, I guess, that this is the way that sports are happening when you've just done it a few times. Um, and the broadcast itself has never been more important. You know, Fox had the game tonight, and uh, old friend of the Mets, Kevin Burkhart, did a fine job, you know, calling play-by-play for it and everything. Um, but we've seen SNY, ESPN, and Fox broadcasts so far. And if ever you really needed Gary, Keith, and Ron, it's this year. Um, yep. <laughs> um, it, you know, and it, so, like I said... Kevin did a good job with his role, but Fox has all these bells and whistles uh, that are just unnecessary. The virtual fans, where it's sort of like a hybrid between video games and some other form of footage and trying to green screen fans in, but only in certain camera angles, and the baseball gets lost. Um, you know, we, we we have speakers with a surround sound set up, and you... you notice things like crowd noise when you have that set up uh, a lot and Fox wasn't using at least as far as I could tell um, the fake crowd noise that was used in City Field they had their own virtual fans Mm. to sometimes replace the cardboard fans and then they had their own audio track which had different sounds and they controlled and ramped up and down differently than what SNY did. I don't know what ESPN did in, in that department because uh, that game I muted and just put the radio on. But these are the things that I think about. And <laughs> I don't know what that says. Um, but to me, take away the fake bullshit. You know, cardboard cutout fans, great. You know, that, that's a fun thing to deal with the reality that we're in. Um, you know, if you're going to have a low hum in the ballpark, so it's not silent for the guys who are out there playing, that's fine too. But I know I'm not there. I know nobody else is there. Like, I don't need anything to make me feel like they are or, or I'm not. One silver lining of all this is that like the Mets fans are great. 
but the you know occasional Mets fan you come across who is maybe not desirable to be near in the ballpark, sitting at home knowing that that person doesn't get to go to the game either, that com- <laughs> that comforts me. Yeah. So I don't I don't need all the fake bullshit like cardboard fans, a low hum of of something, so it's not silent. That's fine, but. We all know we're not there. I don't need you to dress it up and try to make it look like other people are or try to make it sound like, you know, something else is going on. I would I'd rather veer toward and and I would never want to not have uh, Gary, Keith and Ron. But just as like the, the spirit of things, I'd rather go towards like ballpark sound and totally raw just footage of baseball than dressing it up the way that you know the national network tonight was uh and and i honestly don't know what espn did on sunday yeah i mean part of the problem with tonight is just that john smoltz is a terrible broadcaster yeah he was he brought up something with familia that i was just like you sound like you've never seen him pitch well he, he also said at one point during the game tonight that this 60-game season is very different than the uh, 164 games we usually play. So, you know, Hall of Famer doesn't know how many games are in a season. But that's a whole other story. Um, yeah. So, but I, I kind of agree with you on a lot of what you said. I I think the fakeness can be easy to ignore or forget if, if you're not paying attention to it. Like tonight, my wife came downstairs while I was watching the game. We were talking about what we're going to do tomorrow as a family. And she kind of paused for a second and said, oh, wow, there's no one in that ballpark and all that's fake. And that's really weird. But it took her like five minutes of having a conversation with the game in the background for her to realize that it was fake. Because I think we're just conditioned to there are certain ways that baseball games sound and certain ways they look. And the Mets have done a good enough job of, of doing that that I think most nights it's not the first thing that I'm thinking about when I'm watching the game. Um it's such a weird season for so many reasons, and I, I think it's 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 a weird season for the reasons that I didn't anticipate, and the things I did anticipate being weird are fine. Like the cardboard cutouts are fine. The fake crowd noise, for the most part, do I think it's dumb? Sort of, but it's more or less fine. Um, you know, the amount of people that have been DFA'd by this team in a week, that's weird. <laughs> didn't expect that. Um, you know, the... Uh, the sort of, you know, I knew a 60 game season was short. I knew it was going to feel at a more breakneck pace than we're used to, but I wasn't prepared for how much. So, you know, it's just, it's been, it's been really weird. And then, and then you factor in the Marlins thing, um, which I don't know how you wouldn't know this if you're listening to this podcast, but in case you don't know, you know, the Florida Marlins have essentially <laughs> been shut down for the better part of a week now because of some, because of a number of positive tests and other teams had to cancel or postpone games because they were exposed to the Marlins. And then just today, the Phillies shut down because a, a clubhouse uh, employee tested positive as well. So as you eloquently texted me, 40% of the Annalise is not playing baseball right now. And I feel like everyone knew these sorts of things were going to happen. I think I expected it to take a little bit more than a week, but here we are. <laughs> are. Are you surprised at all by any of this? No, 
Unfortunately. I mean, I, I, throughout the pandemic, as it got to New York, um, which obviously is where it started in the United States, uh, at least in a significant way, um, you know, that, that switch flipped where I was taking it very seriously. Uh, not, not before it got here, but, uh, certainly once it did. And, I guess I don't want to say I've been a pessimist at every step of the way since then, but I've, I've leaned toward not just blindly hoping that something good is going to happen. Um, so I would actually say that I think this first week of baseball has gone better than I thought it would with the virus. Um, and, you know, we're still in a spot here where several teams aren't playing for Monday through Sunday, at least. Uh, and then maybe more and, you know, protocol has changed on the fly. Um, roster construction, the, you know, the size of the active roster was scheduled to go a certain way, 30 and 28 and 26. And, you know, that now there's discussion of extending those expanded rosters, uh, which I think is a good idea, but you know, there's that. Uh, double headers, if they happen, will be seven inning games each in a double header, uh, which is something that was decided today. So there's a lot of making it up as, as they go along. And so much of the focus for months was whether or not the owners would pay the players for the games they played, yeah. which I really think is the only way to, to correctly frame it. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't know how else to put that, but but yeah, it's it's not it's not shocking. Um, I think you already have a competitive integrity issue here. Where, um, I mean, look, half of each league, more than half of each league, is going to make the expanded playoffs that are in place, um, assuming there's no changes to the playoff format, since things you know, could, could change. change every single day. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, if I'm the Phillies and, you know, let's say they make up half the games they don't play, you know, we're, we're going to write off the first place Marlins who are two and one and they're going to be in first place until either one of the teams in the division goes on a winning streak or they actually play another game. But um, I'm just going to write them off because they're the Marlins. Uh, but if I'm the Phillies and I say, okay, I, you know, we went into this week uh, not playing any games and then shutting down everything we're doing, uh, you know, even if everything turns out to be relatively okay with COVID, uh, you know, you've still gotten out of a rhythm. You, you played, what, three games? Right? Phillies played four. Four or five? No. Let me no. Let me say. No, I think it was just three. Was it just three? Jeez. Yeah, because I think I think they opened on Friday and it was just that series with the Marlins and, and so far that's it. I'll double check. But you know, you, you go, you start the season coming off of a weird, disjointed uh yeah, the Phillies are one and two and the Marlins are two and one. Um and then you don't do any you don't play games and then you don't do anything baseball related 
uh, and presumably, you know, there's there's not going to be a day at the point that the Phillies are right now. Making sure you're in the clear with COVID, you're not going to go back to like, okay, let's practice for three or four days and then play a game. They're going to have to play a game the day they're clear. Yep. And, you know, I guess there's no better way to say this is a strange year than me feeling sorry for the Phillies getting screwed by <laughs> the nature of the Major League Baseball system uh, right now. So, yeah, you know, I mean, look, it, mathematically, all four good teams in the division, uh, as good as they may or may not be, could be in this playoff format, but... If the Phillies miss out on it by three or four games, you know, I'd, I'd say they have every right to be a little bit pissed off. Yeah. Yeah. And I uh, I think it's hilarious that the NFL still thinks this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think it's hilarious that we're talking about playoffs, because <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know. Right, no. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I know that you agree with, with, with me on that. It just seems to me like this. There's just such willful ignorance in, at, at every turn that the Mets have actually been handling everything reasonably well this week in terms of COVID stuff. You know, I like that their coaching staff has not taken off their masks on television unless they're like, you know, scratching an itch or adjusting or something. But they're wearing the masks all the time. I wish they enforced masks in the dugout. I don't know why that's not a thing. But, you know, whatever. Um, I feel like the Mets have been doing as well as they can from, like, a PR perspective, which is something that doesn't always happen, you know, for the Mets. But there have been an awful lot of DFAs this week, haven't there been? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And in a normal season, I think the weird 40-man roster the team had – would have been something that they could have that they would have cycled through a little bit more, you know, more traditionally. Right. Um, but yeah, bringing in Hunter Strickland, having him suck for a couple games, and and DFAing a couple younger pitchers who, I mean, look, they they're not like top tier prospect kind of right. guys, but they might be useful. Um, at some point, they might not, but Hunter Strickland, we know who he is. So, yes. you know, a couple younger guys are DFA'd. Thus far, they haven't been claimed by anybody. Um, but the Marlins are in a mode that they're claiming anyone who might be able to give them an active roster right. um, in the near future. So, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a weird week transactionally for the Mets. Um, we should probably talk a little bit about the two big debuts that happened. We got um, Andres Jimenez making his major league debut and looking overall pretty good thus far. You know, had a nice triple, um, has looked okay in the field. You know, had, had a good eye at the plate a couple times during this during the series. You know, he he's looked pretty good. And then we had a David Peterson start on uh, Wednesday, Tuesday night, Tuesday night in Boston. And, you know, Peterson looked like everything he's been advertised to be, which is a good prospect, but not a great prospect. Um, 
Any thoughts on those two guys? Well, Jimenez was the guy <clears throat> who who caught my eye when we were down in St. Lucie um, in the pre-pandemic times. And, yeah, it's it was definitely exciting to see him, you know, do some stuff with the bat. Um, you know, tonight he came up in a spot that was pretty big for the mess in the eighth inning and uh, unfortunately grounded out. But... But, but he had a good at bat. You know, he 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 saw some pitches. He didn't he didn't pull an Ahmed Rosario from the next inning when he just swung at three pitches and had to sit down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, it's uh, that was encouraging. Ironically, he has not played that much at shortstop, which is his best asset as a baseball player. Um, you know, there have been a few times that he's been in the field that best shortstop on the field isn't at shortstop which is uh you know that's not even an insult an insult to rosario it's just jimenez sort of uh looks like he's better at it to me you know i mean that's it's been the same story with louis guillorme for the last couple years too yeah yeah but uh you know that it's not a major gripe or anything but it's been encouraging to see him do some good stuff in his first appearances on a major league field. And, uh, and Peterson looked clearly better than Rick Porcello, which I'm not saying that's a high bar, but it, it was nice to have him go out and not throw two innings with, you know, 60 pitches and give up four runs or you know, something along those lines. He went out and he had a perfectly solid, as good as anybody else, uh, who isn't Jacob DeGrom kind of start yep perfectly cromulent yeah exactly so yeah I, I i i hope marcus stroman comes back faster than expected uh i know there's no official expectation but i think we all kind of assumed somewhere around a month when we heard torn calf yes um yeah i mean this is a guy who when he had his acl injury with the blue jays a few years back now went and finished his degree uh in college and made a return faster than average like much faster than average from the knee injury um and we know he's all about positive vibes and you know uh that some of this stuff is funny but he, he really is a guy who has this confident uh positive attitude when yeah. it comes to his his own performance, so. Uh, but my point is, I hope he comes back quickly. And Rick Porcello is relegated to some role that isn't starting pitcher. With David Peterson, after one start, I'm still making this, you know, a priority. Uh, Peterson in the rotation, and Porcello not. Well, I was just gonna say. I mean, I know that you're. Uh... <laughs> that it's been one start, but I, I kind of agree with you. I, I think that Porcello, I mean, look, if Porcello starts tomorrow night and looks great, then I think you have to give him another shot or two, right? But with a season this short, you can't, you can't rest on reputation. You can't rest on contract status. You have to just try and win the most games you can win. Cause like you said, it's so winnable. Getting to the playoffs is so much easier right now 
than it's ever been before. If this were a regular 162-game season and the Mets rotation looked like this in, uh, I mean, it, it could be in April or in July, honestly, there would still be time to make adjustments. There would be, there, there would just, there would just be time to do different things. And we have no time right now. And so I think that you have to give Porcello one more start, and then you got to make a decision if if he's if he's just as bad. Similarly, I think maybe the time has come for Edwin Diaz to no longer close games for the Mets. And yeah. I hate the fact that I'm saying that because that's you know anyone's listened to our show for a long time, I think you would know that neither of us were uh, super negative about the the trade that brought him to the Mets. Um, I think we all felt it was a calculated risk, one that made a lot of sense. You could disagree with it, but I, I think that getting a shutdown closer that young for that little money doesn't happen that often, so you have to take advantage of it when it comes. But he has been so... I mean, he's now appeared in three games. In one game, on opening day, he looks great. On uh, Saturday, I believe it was the next game, he blew a save. And then tonight, he looked maybe the worst he ever looked. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how much longer you can let him close games, especially. And I know that, that, that Lugo and Wilson did not have great games last night. But when you have Lugo, Wilson, Familia, and Batansis, all potential closers on your roster... I don't know how you don't move away. I mean, look, fucking Paul Seawald came into the game tonight and looked way better than Diaz looked. Yeah. Paul Seawald. <laughs> yeah. You know, this shouldn't be, we shouldn't be having this conversation about, about it. We shouldn't. Yeah, no, I, I had that same thought that tonight for whatever reason. I obviously saw everything that happened last year, um, but coming into this season, regular or pandemic version of it, I just thought, okay, sometimes relievers have an off year. Sometimes anybody can have an off year. Sure. Uh, Edwin Diaz isn't that bad. He was he was so good before. And tonight I also had the thought, Paul Seawald might be better than him, <laughs> which is a problem. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how exactly you play that out now. But I definitely agree that, one, it would be nice if the offense could give the bullpen more than a one-run lead or a deficit to work with. Yes. You know, that that is something that should resolve itself. The Mets have many good hitters. Uh, but thus far, the relievers have been in, aside from the blowout game that they lost on Sunday night, the relievers have been in tight spots. But Diaz has got to go out... I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the threshold is. Um, but I'd say several in this kind of a season. Three, four, five outings where he goes out there in the sixth inning of a game that, you know, isn't particularly uh, high pressure. And just just go out there and, and show that you can throw – what you threw before um, or, or something similar to it and not have a major issue with walks, not have 
a major issue with home runs. I don't know if that's even possible, but if he can't get into a game right now that is, you know, a one-run Mets lead or a tie game uh, in the eighth or ninth inning. You just can't do that, especially not when, you know, a few other guys have looked significantly better than him. Yeah. And I'm not saying make Paul Seawald that guy, but Batances has looked good. Drew Smith has looked good. Mm-hmm. Even, even Lugo, you know, he had, he had a little hiccup the other night, gave up a run. He, he gives up a run and we're like, whoa, what's wrong with Seth Lugo? Exactly. <laughs> um and Lugo's you know. situation is weird because he can't pitch two days in a row, you know, so. Right. Um, but, you know, one of the things that has been a, a sabermetric um, idea that never gets done for very long or very successfully is the idea of bullpen by committee. And I feel like in this shortened season, there is absolutely no reason to not do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if anything teams should be more willing to experiment in this season. Right. Because, I mean, look, uh, going back to when everything started this year, uh, I always felt if we got any baseball, we should be consider we could consider ourselves lucky. And the way everything's played out, I don't know if I'd say that we as a society are lucky. But as baseball fans, we are still fortunate that there is baseball on TV. Um, and that so far, as far as we know, I mean, there's certainly uh, an unknowable component of all this. Uh, but as far as we know, no player or staffer from a team or somebody who was, you know, working. Um, adjacent to the whole process of playing baseball this way has died. And it's crazy to have to think about it that way. But if that sort of thing happens, I think that could be one of many different ways this season doesn't you know, come to its conclusion. But that is always going to be the backdrop of it. So from a baseball perspective, um, you know, you have a weird season. Some people, even if it goes through the entire planned process, some people will always view it as a lesser World Series title um, and all that kind of thing. So I, I would, I would be willing to try weird things this year. And the concept of telling Edwin Diaz, like you're pitching the sixth inning. And preferably, if it's not a close game, um, that should be on the table. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, did you read that Ben Lindbergh book, uh, The Only Rules It Has to Work? No, I read about it. Okay, yeah, so basically Lindbergh and another BP writer whose name is now escaping me. Um, Miller? Sam Miller, I Sam think? Sam Miller, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. We're, um, we're, we're tasked with a an independent league team for a season – and anything they decided basically had to be had to be tried, and so they just they just threw out the the book and started to try things. And some things worked really well, and some things they realized maybe are rules for a reason. But it wasn't it wasn't quite enough of a sample size to really learn anything. But that's the way I'd appreciate I'd approach the Mets this year. 
you know, look, the season was always going to have an air of illegitimacy, like you said. When you're throwing out seven-inning doubleheaders and you're changing playoff rules literally an hour before the first pitch of the season and you're changing roster rules during the season, and it just... It, it feels like they're just scrambling to put something together and it's always going to feel weird. So you know what? Lean into that. You know, and, and I know that the Mets, we wrote a, I think it was Vass who wrote the piece for, for us about how the Mets were particularly suited to do the DH well. And so far the DH has pretty much just been Cespedes. And I understand why that's the case. But I would like to see them giving Cespedes a couple days off, especially because he's looked like garbage the last couple nights. Even though he had a home run last night, and somehow yeah, he, he did hit a home run. Somehow still looked like trash there for most of his at bats, though. You know, um, give him a day off, experiment, just just experiment a little bit. I guess is what I'm coming, where I'm saying with all this, like you were saying, just let's let's find ways to be less stuck in our ways, and and try some stuff. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Now, in in the spirit of that, I, I'm interested to get your take on Luis Rojas as a manager now for a week. Um, I have some thoughts, but I'd like to hear yours first. Sure, yeah. Um, the only big note I really have is that Justin Wilson was clearly gassed in the game last night, uh, Wednesday night's game, just to put it in perspective as, as people are listening here. Um and he stuck with him too long. Aside from that, I don't really have any major gripes. Um, like you said, I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned that he's kept his mask on the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, just touching on what you said earlier, it would be nice if in the dugout it was mandatory because there's no reason it couldn't be. Um, but, yeah, no, he... He seems to, you know, he doesn't have anything that really stands out either in a good way or a bad way when he uh, speaks to the media um, virtually, of course. But I think that can be a good thing for a manager as, you know, someone who got to see it in action a little bit in person and mostly just observed it from my TV uh Mickey Calloway did not really have an uh, ability to fly under the radar. <laughs> and I, I think that's, I don't know. I, I, it's not necessarily 
uh, going to determine whether or not your team wins or, or loses, but I kind of admire a manager who doesn't have to be the star of the show. Right. Like, the Joe Madden thing has been old for five years or more now. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think in, what, 2009 or whatever, as, as the Mets were really coming down off the high of the Beltron right Reyes peak um, and opening a new ballpark and entering the Jason Bay era. Uh, uh, you know, there was a time that Joe Madden seemed to, to me and I think to a lot of people who were inclined to look at, the, you know, statistics uh, in the way that Amazing Avenue always has, uh, you know, Joe Madden was like, oh, wow, this edgy guy who actually like kind of got those concepts. But, you know, that that's not... I, I don't need the manager to be the star of the show. And the way that role functions in an organization these days... Um, Being able to just make reasonable decisions, explain them in a way that you aren't the headline, you know. Um, it, it, and I know, like a good manager, will not throw his players under the bus. He'll he'll take blame when things go poorly, and not try to take too much credit when they go well. Um, that's all good stuff. But I, I guess my overall point is. Rojas is there and aside from one in-game you know decision that I wasn't particularly happy about um, yeah, I think he's doing okay and that's all you can ask and for the, nobody um, has had a weirder introduction to managing a major league baseball team <laughs> yes. in the history of baseball than he has that is correct. Um, I, I will I will slightly add to your gripe, which is just that both Lugo and Wilson, but especially Wilson, have been used a lot already. I believe Wilson was used four in the first six game, four times in the first six games. Yep. So you know, I, I don't love him Terry Collinsing the bullpen, um, but it's short season, etc. Aside from that, I, I've been impressed with Rojas because. First of all, I think that he's done a really good job in getting players some playing time without it looking like he's benching players that people want to see. You know, like, I, I think there's a lot to be said for getting Jimenez in there. I think that him pulling Cano for defense and pulling uh, Nimmo or Conforto for defense, you know, when Mariznick was on the roster because, you know, he's he's hurt now. Um, you know, I just think he's done a good job of moving players around. He seems very well respected by everybody there. I mean, at spring training, everybody from the beat writers to the Mets staff themselves to, um, you know, to just casual observers, everybody said, you know, he's the real deal. He's going to do great. And I think that he's done a good job so far in doing the things that that we can that we can judge with our eyes, you know. The bullpen has been rough, but the bullpen's always rough, and he hasn't made any egregious bullpen moves yet. Like you said, he kept Wilson in for too long last night. I would argue maybe he kept Diaz in a little bit too long tonight, but you have to see what you have there. You have to. 
Um, so I can't I can't hold him too accountable for that. But overall, right. it, it's been it's been nice to see a manager who seems like he's well prepared and knows what he's doing, because I honestly never felt that way with Mickey Callaway. Yeah, um, Mickey Callaway was a good talker, but I think where I'm at right now <clears throat> in terms of qualities I want to see from certain roles in the Mets organization. Uh, I'd rather the GM be the smooth talking, you know, Brody type uh, that he is. And and I don't even mean that as an insult. I think being able to be that kind of personality and and speak that way is potentially useful uh, in that role in, in an organization. So, you know that that's not to take away from anything that Rojas is is doing. It's just Callaway came in and he you know he had that little bit of like a slight Southern accent, right? And came in and just sort of made it sound like he was gonna do all this stuff and be this great new manager, and uh, didn't really turn out that way, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I think Rojas has been doing some good stuff, and I hope that if the Mets get sold, and you know potentially there's always turnover at the point of a sale, I, I hope that that Rojas gets a couple more seasons to to show what he's got because I think this is a very unfair season to judge a new manager on. Yeah, and I, I mean, look, a new owner could come in and, and totally clean house, and it would just get swept up in that, but there isn't any real logical, you know, I'm not saying you make these decisions for the fans, but unless something crazy happens over the next couple of months, uh, I don't think Mets fans are going to have any reason to want to get rid of him as a manager. Right. And, you know, he, he is a guy who, and we heard these stories a lot at the time that he took, the role uh, earlier this year, but he started working for the Mets, driving minor leaguers from like different places in you know Port St. Lucie and um, shuttling them around, that kind of stuff. Everybody loves the story of a guy who was just grinding it out as a, a relatively low level employee and making it to a prominent role, right? So yeah. unless something really crazy happens you'd be kind of nuts to change course and i mean look where we are right now if there's a vaccine tomorrow it will not have been implemented well enough that the start of next season will be unaffected by this right so to me there there's just no reason that a new owner would want to come in and shake things up that much. If they wanted a new GM and new, you know, high level executives in a variety of positions, I get that. And I think everybody who is currently there would get that. That might just be a thing that happens, but I I would not change course with the team's manager um, under these circumstances. 
you know, if it was Mickey Calloway and he was still here and he was riding things out and it was just more of the same and the season ended poorly for the Mets, then it would be an easy thing to, okay, clean break. But you got a new guy who deserves a chance. Shit, man, they didn't make a clean break with Mickey Calloway last season after he threatened the life of a reporter. Right. <laughs> yep. Just saying. Yeah. Anything else baseball-related you want to talk about this week? Um, Nothing too crazy, except these last two nights were very frustrating because the Mets had bases loaded opportunities late, and both of them uh, did not come through in either one. They're three and four, so you have the two parts of, you know, for a month we were preparing for basically multiply every win or loss by three. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, technically it's like 2.6 or whatever. Right, right. But uh, for the simple math in your head, just multiply it by three. But then as you uh, correctly noted an hour before the season, the format changed entirely. So, you know, all right, in our head, the Mets are, uh, you know, nine and nine and 12. That's not great. But in the reality that they're three and four, if they could win, you know, one game, 500 almost definitely gets you in. I mean, 500 almost 500 gives you a chance in a normal two wild card format. Right. Yeah. So if eight teams are going to be in the playoffs, and your your big focus is just making sure that DeGrom and Stroman and, and so far Matt's, you know, that's probably the one, two, three that I would want. Maybe Waka ends up being the guy who you want to slot into that third spot for a playoff series. Um, lining that up to be healthy is probably more important than whether or not you are a 500 team or a team that's five games over you know right so that that's all um as per usual in a baseball season the mets could easily be you know five and two right yeah but i'm not in panic mode that they're not so that that's it for me yeah panic mode is not there for me either i think that the everyone is still very much getting working out the cobwebs of all this and so you can't you can't fault anybody just yet for any of this. Yeah, yeah. One thing I have found myself saying a lot uh, this week is all of these guys are coming off a three week version of spring training in which, at least in the Mets' case, and it wasn't drastically different for any other team, they played two exhibition games. Yep. And otherwise, only did baseball things with each other, and. You know, as much as uh, the fifth and sixth week of spring training in a normal year might feel like, oh man, this is uh, this is still going on. It's kind of dragging, right? But I think we're seeing what baseball looks like when um, when you don't have that. So, yeah, if things get back to normal, uh, maybe spring training should be left the way it is. Yeah. Yes, I agree with that. All right, Chris, what is your music club pick for this week? So I, I went back and looked looked at uh, the episodes we've done over the last few months. I think this is a new pick. If I'm repeating myself, I'm sorry. 
but I don't think I am because uh, the Murlocs are a band from Australia that uh, I will admit I did not realize until the pandemic, despite having seen them live once in Australia, um, are made up of it's a four person band and half of them are in King Gizzard. <laughs> uh, and I realized that during are. the pandemic. Um, but, but yeah, no, it's, uh, Ambrose from King Giz plays in, in that band. He plays harmonica keyboards, occasionally guitar, occasionally lead vocals. Um, and during all of this, King Gizzard had put out, uh, like a concert film, that was going to be released in theaters and then, you know, theaters weren't a thing anymore. Um, so watching that, I'm like, wait a second, is he in the Murlocs? And like, it's his lead thing. So not only has he been in a band that's put out 15 records of its own, uh, but his side project with the bassist who's in King Gizzard and is on bass in the Murlocs as well. And I'm forgetting his name. And I feel terrible since I play bass in a band and I should not do that to another bassist. But <laughs> um, yeah, the two of them are in a band called the Murlocs. And during the pandemic is when they they really grew on me. Um, you know, the set that they played that I saw in person um, and what I had listened to on Spotify it was always fine. It was good. But during this, I've, I've really gotten a lot more into it. Uh, so the record I'd recommend is called Young Blindness, which came out in 2016. Um, I will say that at first you might listen to the, the records and think like, okay, it, the records sound pretty similar. You know, it's all good. That was, that was sort of my first reaction. But if you listen to it more, um, there's a little more to distinguish songs and even the albums from one another. Uh, but I would go with this one because my favorite song that they've recorded is on it. Um, it's called Wolf Creep. And, you know, it's like by the standards of everything I listen to, it's not like a badass riff or anything. But for the style of music that they make in this band, it's just like, oh, man, that 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 riff sort of like it, 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 it does something for me. So uh, yeah, the Murlocs young blindness and they have a couple of sessions on, this is just a general recommendation. Uh, you know, something that came up when we were recommending things at the beginning of the pandemic, KEXP, uh, the wonderful station out in the Northwest uh, has tons of, great stuff going on all the time and they've had tons of bands come through and record sets in their studio and all of those are on youtube and you can just watch them for free um and they are very well shot very well edited really beautiful performances right yeah the the sound is great the video is great the format is like two or three songs little awkward interview because <laughs> nobody is more awkward at answering a question uh, than a musician who's in the middle of their set. <laughs> you know, and I'm not, yeah. I'm not criticizing the format, but there's a lot of answers where like the host says 25 things and the person just goes like, yep. 
but uh but yeah they they have a couple sets on there and i recommend watching those uh, maybe it's just one with them but whatever the case check that out and check the record out and now i will shut up so you can give your recommendation <laughs> that's totally right uh yes uh, i just want to quickly double your recommendation for kexp's live sessions they are fantastic definitely worth checking out um, so I'm going to cheat this week. I'm going to recommend one song and one album. One of my favorite musicians is a guy named John K. Sampson. He used to be in a band called The Weaker Thans. I, I think he's probably the best lyricist in music. And he released a new single this week um, that is uh, very relevant to our tastes. It's called Fantasy Baseball at the End of the World. And it's just about like... <laughs> the fucked up world we live in and how he's still trying to manage his fantasy baseball roster as part of it. Yeah. I need to, uh, I need, I need to listen to that immediately (laughs) because just tonight I I saw on Yahoo, sorry to interrupt. No, but, uh, I logged on to Yahoo and it's like, Oh, Hey commissioner, you can make the injured list 10 instead of five now. (laughs) Yes. Again, making it up as we go along, uh, and fantasy baseball, what was the full title? At the Fantasy Baseball at the End of the World. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is that is that is speaking to me directly <laughs> yeah. based on my experience tonight. It, it's less than two minutes long, and it ends on kind of a fuck baseball note, but doesn't matter. It's a good song, and uh, yeah, I recommend it. So, John K. Sampson, Fantasy Baseball at the End of the World. My uh, music pick, though, my album pick, is uh, a band called Deep Space Duo. And the record's called Space Tones. And it is an album I found on Bandcamp, on one of their Bandcamp Fridays, which for those that don't know, we've talked about this before, but every Friday this, uh, since I believe May, Bandcamp, which is a great place to get music, has been uh, issuing their fees on the first Friday of the month to allow bands and labels to get the full amount. And that will be continuing through the end of the year. So good on Bandcamp for doing that. But I found this on a Bandcamp Friday. I forget how I stumbled across it. But basically, it's a Chicago duo of two pl- people who really like this like cheap old organ called the Acetone Top 5. And so they each have an Acetone Top 5, and they run it through all sorts of effects and create these like really beautiful ambient soundscapes with them. And, nice. Uh, I feel like so much of my life is chaos right now that just having this like beautiful, uh, spacey, ambient music has been a very, very pleasant thing in my life. So I don't have too much more to say about it because I feel like spacey, ambient kind of sums it up, but it's, it's really excellent and beautiful. And again, that is called Space Tones by Deep Space Duo. Nice. I like it. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, ambient music is becoming my, like, I need to chill out for a few minutes thing. Yeah, you know? I have not tried that, but I, I think maybe I should. <laughs> oh, one other one other thing uh, in the music world. Uh, last weekend, I did not know, I don't know how long they've been doing it, but the Village Vanguard has been doing live streaming sets from the actual venue, which is legendary. Um Miles Davis, John Coltrane played there, among many other people. My father, uh, in he graduated from high school in 1961, 
every weekend when he was a senior in high school, he and his two friends would go to the Vanguard and see like Miles Davis and Coltrane and God, Mingus and shit. Man. And just like, he didn't tell me this until like a couple years before he died. And I was like, why have we never talked about this? He was like, I don't remember who I saw. I was drunk. I'm like, come on, dad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but uh, that's, sorry. that's great. It's great. Um, but yeah, no, they, they, it's 10 bucks and on, it's Friday and Saturday night each week. And they do a set from there. Um, and, you know, we tuned in on Saturday night and it was just, it's a different artist every week. It was Ron Carter when we watched on Saturday night, 83 years old in a full suit, wore a mask for the whole set. The only time he, and, and, and so did the other two guys in his band. But point being, uh, if he could do it in that context, anybody could do that for for an hour or so, you know? Yep. But yeah, it was 10 bucks. And the KEXP series has helped get through a lot of this. Um, Radiohead doing the, you know, putting full video of entire sets of theirs up every week, which I think they've continued to do every week still. Uh, you know, and a variety of other things have all been good to just sort of get your music fixed. But watching the Vanguard stream, um, it, it was just the closest I felt to like, oh, this is actually live music. You know, it, it, it sounded great. It was shot great. It was happening live, um, you know, just a few miles from, from where I was here at home. And, you know, that it, I don't know, it just hit in a way that was like, okay, there's something, you know, there, there's something there to connect to one of the things that I love the most in, yep. in normal times. So for 10 bucks, I guarantee you, they're not going to have anybody bad there. Right. They, they never would normally. Um, you got to be at a certain level to, to play there in the first place. So as you're listening to this, uh, either tonight, Friday or tomorrow, Saturday or next week or the Fridays and Saturdays to follow for the next long time, uh, I, I recommend that as a general concept. So uh, this weekend, I just looked it up. It's the Fred Hirsch trio. I am not yeah. familiar with Fred Hirsch. Uh, neither am I. Apparently, he's been around for a while and plays piano. Um, I feel like I've seen his name on their calendar, but I don't know his music. Right. Um, but with jazz, that's okay. You can you can absolutely. go in and yeah yeah. So anyway, that's. That's our show for this week. Um, thank you for listening. As always, please go to AmazingAvenue.com for lots more Mets-related content. All the stuff you want, we hopefully are doing. And we're just trying to get through this weird season in one piece, and we know that you guys are too. So we thank you for checking out everything we're doing. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can get this show from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, hopefully you can uh, you can find this show. And it turns out Brian Cranston has COVID-19. Really? Yeah. Just popped up on my phone. Okay. Sorry for that distraction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope, just like everybody else uh, who has been in that unfortunate situation, I, I hope he's okay. Yes, absolutely. Um, you can follow Chris on uh, Twitter at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And until next time, let's go.